Maria Martinez-Keel. And I'm Dale Denwald. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. This week, Oklahoma's legislature gaveled in to start a four-month session of debating new laws and setting the state budget. We'll cover this year's key issues for the governor and lawmakers. On the Source podcast this week, we're joined by Carmen Foreman and Ben Felder, who cover state government and politics for the Oklahoman. Governor Kevin Stitt outlined his legislative priorities in his State of the State speech on Monday. Carmen, did we learn anything new from that speech about the direction that Stitt wants to go? Absolutely. Um, The governor gave a few different policy directions where he wants to sort of focus his time this year. He wants to beef up enforcement of Oklahoma's medical marijuana industry, um, essentially cut out the black market element as much as he can of that industry. Uh, He also put a heavy emphasis in his speech on education um, and has given some indicators of what he wants to see on education. Specifically, um, he wants to expand school vouchers and has come out supporting a bill from Senate pro tem Greg Treat that would do that. He also has uh, hinted that he wants to uh, offer some performance pay for top performing teachers, although he has not said how he's going to pay for that. Um, He wants to eliminate the state's grocery tax. And before you get on to me about how much uh, municipalities rely on grocery taxes to uh, fund their local governments, just know that he does not want to eliminate the municipal grocery taxes. Um, So that's just sort of a few highlights, things that he um, hasn't really talked about before necessarily or hasn't talked about in depth before that he came out and was really gung-ho about in his State of the State speech. So this is an election year for the governor and for some lawmakers. How much does that influence what bills get filed and ultimately what issues lawmakers will pursue seriously? So it is an election year, and I think that really impacts um, what you're going to see this session. I think that impacted what we heard in Governor Sitt's speech on Monday, and I think it's impacted the types of bills that we've seen filed. Uh, the kind of way that I like to describe it is you see a lot of social media bills, and so what I mean by that is these are the kind of bills that kind of cater towards a lot of the chatter that you see on social media or that gather a lot of attention on social media. A lot of ideological bills, not that there's not a lot of policy involved in this session, there is, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, here a little bit later. Um, But for example, you know, one of the big issues right now, especially among conservative circles, is, um, is parents' rights at schools, curriculum in schools. We've seen a lot of talk about critical race theory. We've seen a lot of talk about um, what books should be allowed in libraries and what shouldn't be allowed in libraries. And and those kind of bills are are getting a lot of attention. Um, And I think there's kind of two sides to that coin. One is a lawmaker who files a bill that that may get a lot of attention back home, and that's the purpose. That's he or she filed that bill for that sole purpose of saying, you know, I'm I'm looking out for what my constituents want, um, especially in a primary election. I think it's kind of important to note. Um, but in an election year like this, I think the interesting thing is going to be whether or not these bills gain traction, whether they get uh, committee hearings, whether they pass through committees, um, and what kind of support they get or don't get on the floor. Um, and I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to see, especially with a lot of these bills, because it seems like a lot of these bills that we normally in the past would say, hey, these are like ideological bills kind of filed to make a point. They're probably not going to get very far. It seems like at least with a few of them, they do seem to have maybe some more traction than in years past. And the governor's speech itself, I mean, it, it was 
it's always a political speech just because the governor is a political figure, right? But it was political in certain elements too, because he, you know, we hear him saying, oh, you know, we, we want to give troopers a raise. And he essentially says, you know, oh, we're going to back the blue. Um, and, you know, that, you know, caters to his base. But he's also saying in his speech, he's comparing, you know, Oklahoma, a red state, and saying how much better it's doing than um, blue states out there. Um, and, you know, that's more of the uh, campaign rhetoric that you would see if, you know, Stitt were going through rural Oklahoma and talking to town halls through there. Governor Stitt took time during his speech to once again criticize the McGirt Supreme Court ruling that recognized the sovereignty of Oklahoma tribes to prosecute criminal cases on tribal land. Oklahoma has been robbed of the authority to prosecute crimes. Put simply, McGirt jeopardizes justice. Carmen, how did the tribes react to his comments? Short version is not well. Um, if, if you've been, you know, reading anything that we have written about McGirt in the past year, um, year and a half, I guess, maybe, uh, you know, you know very well that uh, the, the relationship between Governor Stitt and the tribes is a bit fractured right now. And yes, um, Stitt is a member of the Cherokee Nation, but even the, the principal chief of the Cherokee Nation has been one of Governor Stitt's loudest critics throughout this McGirt fallout, um, partly because, he, you know, they're just, it seems as though the tribes and Governor Stitt are just sort of butting heads constantly on McGirt. The tribes view it one way, Stitt views it another way, and they're not really rectifying their position. And so on Monday, when Governor Stitt gave his State of the State speech, he again basically said how how terrible he thinks the McGirt ruling has been for Oklahoma, how it's essentially, he said, fracturing the state and it's becoming uh, very difficult to have justice uh, for criminals. Um, and, you know, the tribes just don't view it that way. They view it as a win for tribal sovereignty. And they see it as the state has wrongly been prosecuting um, tribal citizens for, you know, 100 years, 100 plus years. Um, and so there's there was a lot of talk after the governor's speech on Monday about, um, you know, the tribes kind of said, oh, there's still time for the governor to kind of take a different tone, uh, shift his language, let's try to work together. But ultimately, they were very critical of his remarks, um, as they usually are when it comes to McGirt issues. So noticeably missing from the governor's speech was any mention of COVID-19. The legislature also did away with any COVID-19 precautions this session. And I think that's a pretty clear message that dealing with the pandemic isn't a priority for the governor's office and legislative leaders. Um, are we going to see lawmakers and the governor address issues related to COVID-19 at all in any form or fashion this year? I asked the governor about COVID restrictions last week or if he has any plans to sort of change his his, his trajectory on COVID. And he kind of said, no, you know, the, there's no plan uh, to have zero cases of COVID in Oklahoma. Again, he sort of repeated that, you know, you just have to learn to live with it. Now, whether the legislature addresses COVID this session, I mean, I'm sure they absolutely will. Um, but maybe in ways you hadn't thought of, right? So there are flurry, I mean, there are dozens and dozens of bills related to vaccine mandates, um, essentially GOP-backed bills that would block vaccine mandates, whether it's, you know, at hospitals, private businesses, uh, the state 
block the state from imposing such a mandate or um, municipalities from imposing vaccine mandates. That is going to be a major issue this session. Without a doubt, the legislature will almost certainly do something on it. Um, But then I think you're also hearing a lot of talk about sort of what the healthcare system is like, uh, you know, now after dealing with COVID for uh, about two years. I mean, lawmakers are recognizing that our hospitals are running short of nurses and that our basically student to nurse pipeline is 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 woefully short. Um, it is now and projections that like, you know, we would have enough nurses to staff hospitals uh, down the line are also falling short. And so they're really honing in on that sort of workforce development piece of trying to improve the staffing situation for healthcare facilities. And then of course you have your sort of hot button controversial bills, you know, to uh, like I saw one recently that was, you know, to make ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine over the counter drugs, which ivermectin you is, you know, you can buy that in an agriculture store. So it in a way it's it is an over the counter drug and hydroxychloroquine is not, but sort of these controversial type bills that um I think will cause a lot of drama in the legislature. You'll definitely see some of those. Now, I want to move on to a story that you wrote, Ben. There there doesn't seem to be a clear path for lawmakers to adjust the tax code this year. Despite the governor's desire to eliminate the grocery sales tax and to cut other taxes whenever state revenue increases, uh, even though the leaders of both the House and the Senate backed up the governor on the tax cuts, their own budget chairman didn't seem very excited at the proposals, according to your story. Ben, why is that? Yeah, so both both budget chairs for the House and the Senate have said that despite a um, a slight increase in the budget this year, or a bigger increase when you look at one-time spending, um, they really want to keep the budget flat. Um, You know, both said that they weren't too excited about the idea of spending more money than last year, whether that be on pay raises for state employees or more investments in healthcare or education. And they also said that they were kind of cool to the idea of tax cuts, which obviously they have to make for up in, in the budget as well. Um, I, what I think is interesting about that is, like you mentioned, um, both leaders of the House and the Senate are proposing their own tax cuts. The corporate income tax is something the House leader, uh, Speaker McCall, is, propo- is a proponent for. Uh, Senate pro tem Greg Treat, uh, as w- along with lots of others lawmakers, it was a proponent for uh, cutting the state grocery tax. Um, but I would kind of look at these as opening uh kind of salvos in the negotiation process. The the budget negotiations will take place over the next several months, mostly behind doors, but between House and Senate leadership and the governor's office. And I think what the committee chairs are signaling is um, is they're kind of opening, their opening stance is we don't want to spend any more money and we don't want any tax cuts. Now, maybe that's a personal bargaining chip for themselves. Maybe there's something that they would like to see done and that kind of gives them a little bit of power. Um, but also it may just signal to the governor's office, you know, we're, we're not going to go hog wild on a lot of a lot of major spending projects. And we'll talk about what some spending projects might be from the governor, I'm sure, here in a moment. Um, but those things will change. And it's also important to remember, you know, that the committee chairs serve at the pleasure of their leaders. So um, while the committee chairmen may say that they're not in favor of tax cuts, uh, their bosses are. Um, and that'll probably um, impact them as we move forward. So let's take the temperature of the relationship between the governor's office and legislative leadership, because both sides have gotten pretty heated with each other in the past. So Carmen, what's that relationship like right now? And are there any issues where we might see lawmakers diverging from one of Stitt's priorities? 
Yeah, I think the relationship is going well. I mean, uh, Governor Stitt said yesterday that he had, uh, usually during session, he has like weekly breakfasts with Speaker McCall and Pro Tem Treat. And he said they met yesterday for breakfast. I remember a couple years ago when the relationship was kind of frosty as they were coming to the end of budget negotiations and, uh, you know, the legislative leaders were literally suing the governor over um, gaming compacts. Um, but I really think that the, the the relationship has improved. They all seem to get along. That doesn't mean they all have the same policy priorities or the same goals they want to get out of this legislative session. And um, one of the main areas I think we'll see them diverge is I, I really saw from the governor's state of the state speech that him and Senate pro tem Greg Treat seem very aligned, both on undoing the grocery sales tax for the state and then also on expanding vouchers for children. Um, Um, and education vouchers, basically. Um, But I don't know how well those topics will go over in the House. Um, I think the voucher expansion is going to be a lot harder to get through the House than it would be in the Senate. You have a lot more rural lawmakers in the House. Um, You have a lot more competing ideas and priorities. And and frankly, I just don't know that Speaker McCall himself is, is keen on the idea. I don't know if he is. I don't know if he isn't. Um, Same for the grocery sales tax. Um, While Speaker McCall has been a proponent of additional tax cuts, I'm not sure that uh, the grocery sales tax would be his first choice. And so I do see some room where there could be uh, some negotiations there, possibly some horse trading. I guess we'll see as this session goes along. And moving right along, Ben, you uh, you foreshadowed um, this next topic uh, earlier. Uh, you wrote about how the state budget is the keystone piece of legislation every year uh, that the, the state legislature takes on. Uh, but a lot of those budget decisions are made in secret and not revealed until maybe the last moments of session. The governor released his proposal for what he wants the state budget to be. Four months from now, we may see uh, what eventually comes out, but what does this proposal look like now, and how different could the final version turn out to be once lawmakers finalize it? Yeah, well, usually when the session starts, you know, it starts on that Monday with the governor giving his speech and his budget, and then the legislature just goes and does what they want, right? It's kind of that, it's the day for the governor to kind of shine and and kind of propose what he wants. Um, And then we don't really hear much from him until the very, you know, the last couple of weeks, maybe. Uh, I think what's really interesting about the governor's budget this year, from what we can tell, is that there seems to be a disconnect between what we heard him say in his speech on Monday and the budget that he released. Uh, He talked about wanting to increase teacher pay. He talked about uh, wanting to spend more on infrastructure. Uh, He talked about wanting to uh, provide some mental health supports for public safety employees. Um, You know, I wouldn't call it, you know, a big, uh, you know, they call him a big spender based on what we heard on Monday. But we we, it raised a lot of questions about, okay, well, where are you going to get this money and and how are you going to pay for it? And then he released his budget and you really didn't see a lot of how, you know, the the roadmap to paying for it, you know, in the details. Um, So that tells me that maybe one, the governor is you know, gotten wise to this process that maybe it's not, you know, it's kind of a waste of his time to really kind of put all those details out in a budget, knowing that the legislature is going to have have their own things. I think there's other ways that you can connect the dots and say that, hey, maybe when it comes to the infrastructure spending he's talking about, he's probably going to rely on a lot of federal relief fund dollars. Um, and maybe, you know, when it comes to the teacher pay raises that it's, you know, it's not going to be this massive pay raise that maybe it's just going to be kind of a small program. 
Um, but I think what's interesting in the in the governor's budget is where we did see some increases um, are really true to what he's been a fan of, which is uh, business incentives and savings. The governor wants to continue to put more money into the uh, state's uh, rainy day fund. Um, and he can point to recent years in which that became a really important thing for Oklahoma when we saw the economic downturn because of the pandemic. Um, and then business incentives. This year, he's asking for another $20 million for the Quick Action Closing Fund, which is a, a kind of pot of money that he mainly controls that he can kind of throw at businesses to sweeten the the pot of them coming to Oklahoma or expanding their operations in Oklahoma. And then he also wants to spend $10 million on essentially an out-of-state advertising campaign to recruit workers here to Oklahoma. Um, in his speech, he bragged about the jobs that he's created. He's bragged about the low unemployment. Um, but he also said that just like the rest of the country, Oklahoma is facing work, workforce shortage issues, that businesses who are thinking about coming to Oklahoma are a little bit worried about who they're going to actually be able to hire. And so that's what that campaign will be after. Um, so I would say that where you actually see in his budget a reflection of spending is, is I would call those his main priorities, the savings account and these business incentives. Uh, the other areas, um, I think there, you know, I think he probably has some wiggle room on, you know, at least based on what we saw in the budget. So as education reporter, um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask a question about schools. Lawmakers have filed hundreds of bills that would affect education, and the governor took his own strong stance on education reform. So he said parents should be able to take the state funding that would be dedicated to their children if they're attending public schools, take that money and use it to attend a private school or use it for homeschool costs. School choice issues have been a goal for many Republicans for a long time. So Carmen... Do you think they have the political heft to push it into law this year? It's a really good question, and I think my answer is that it's too soon to tell. Um, Like I said earlier, I mean, I think the school voucher expansion is very likely to get through the Senate. Um, I mean, when your Senate president pro tem is proposing it, uh, more than likely you're able to get the votes to get that through the chamber. But when it goes to the opposing chamber... I just, I, I don't have a good sense. Um, I know that, you know, Democrats are very opposed to it, but they make up such a small minority of the members in the House that it's hard to say if that'll be enough impact. Actually, it's easy to say they, that won't be enough impact to kill it. Um, but whether, you know, if there's this urban-rural divide um, in, on the school vouchers, I could see something like that. Um, but like you said, I mean, this is... This is an issue Republicans have pushed for years, and we've never really seen a, a major a major shift like this would be. I mean, this would be a, a major expansion that would allow any kid to have their dollars follow them, essentially. So we do have some programming news uh, to announce the return of the Political State podcast. That's a podcast that uh, will be hosted by Ben and Carmen. Each week, they'll dive into Oklahoma's top political stories with discussion and analysis. So keep an eye out for that on Fridays this session. Well, I'm certainly uh, excited to uh, hear Political State once again. I know you guys are going to do a great job. Thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast this week. And for our listeners, thank you for listening. This podcast is possible because of the Oklahoman subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read these stories that we discussed today and more every day in the Oklahoman at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.